0: I've experienced something. Maybe you've experienced something similar. I've probably, as a preacher, been guilty of this. I always like it when I get to start a sermon with, I'm guilty of this, but... Uh... You've probably experienced that sometimes Mother's Day rolls around and we praise our moms and we say, moms are wonderful and moms are awesome and moms, you're doing such a great job. And I hope that we did that this Mother's Day as we talked about how as moms serve their families and as every family member serves their family, that they're doing God-glorifying work. But we tend to praise mom on Mother's Day and then Father's Day rolls around and we say, Man, guys, can't you get your act together? You know, come on. And we kind of beat dads up. And I don't want today to be like that. I, I don't want us to come together as a family and beat each other up and make each other feel bad. That's not the point of any of the things that we talk about. We want to be invited and accept the invitation into the gospel where we experience not only forgiveness, mercy and grace, but we experience transformation into a better, different way of living. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how the gospel, how God's unbelievably great commitment to us has caused us to respond to him by being committed to him and that looks like, oftentimes, being committed to our family. So that's what we're talking about this month. But before we get into this, this morning's lesson, let me ask you something. And, and maybe if you've got a pen and paper, you could write this down. Or maybe if you've got your phone, you can kind of type it in the notes section or something like that. But write down what your most passionate about. Now, I know we're in church and so you're going to say, God, that's all I'm passionate about is God and family. You know, God and family. That's all I'm passionate about. But, but let's, let's be really honest. You won't have to show anybody your list, but let's be really honest this morning. Think about what it is that really drives you, what you're really passionate about, what really motivates you, what kind of stokes your fires and drives you on. And it's hard sometimes to be honest about what that is. What are you really passionate about? So it helps to kind of drill down and ask some probing questions like, what is it that I daydream about when I... I, I, I said earlier when I'm stuck in a boring meeting, I uh, to all the elders, our meetings are never boring, okay? so, uh, But but in general, people are stuck in boring meetings. But if you're stuck in a meeting or you're on a commute or you're driving or you're just doing something where you don't have to think about it and your mind kind of drifts, what is it that you think about all the time that just kind of takes over your thoughts? You can't help but think about it because you're so excited about it and you love it so much. What is it that you daydream? about or what is it that you talk about kind of incessantly anytime you find somebody who you think who you think wants to hear about it I mean you're talking about it all the time you just can't you could talk about it for hours in fact that's another question is what is it that kind of makes the time go fast you you kind of lose all track of time when you're doing that thing maybe you intend to do it for an hour two hours or three hours goes by we say that time flies when you're having fun right time flies when you're having fun and it's also true that time flies when you're you're doing something that you love so that's one of the questions you can ask is where am i when time seems to just fly by what am I doing? Or, or how about this? Or what is it that I tend to spend a whole lot of money on? I mean, I could just drop hundreds of dollars on this thing because I love it so much and I'm so passionate about it. And if you don't know what that is, you can ask your spouse. They'll tell you what it is that you spend a lot of money on. But but what is that what is that thing or what are those things in your life that you talk about all the time and you think about all the time and that you spend money and time on and time just seems to go so quickly when you're doing it what are those things that you are so incredibly passionate about that they drive you they motivate you they 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 put fire in your belly and they they push you on Sometimes it's things like like sports. Maybe it's sports in general or a specific team. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's the country and the nation, and that's really what what you get all worked up about. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's maybe it's financial success. Maybe it's just financial security and feeling like everything is taken care of. But here's the thing: whatever those things are that you are passionate about, that that you really are invested in, and you think a lot about, they get interwoven into the fabric of your family, and you end up parenting the way that you parent, and you end up being the spouse that you are, or the child that you are, or the grandparent that you are, or the cousin that you are, whatever your role in the family is, you end up doing that in the particular way that you do it because of what you're passionate about. People know that about you. They know, my dad, he's this way. He really likes this. This is his thing. Or my kids, they really like that. Or my spouse really likes this. And your passions shape you and mold you. They, they drive you on towards a certain destination. And here's the thing, and this is especially true for men, I think, that in our culture, it is socially acceptable to be passionate about a whole lot of different things, And it's kind of nerdy to be passionate about other things, right? That we know that in certain circles, you can be super passionate about sports. And man, you talk about sports and they like to talk about sports and nobody looks at you and says, man, I can't believe you get so worked up about that. You know, nobody thinks that about you. Everybody is okay with the fact that you are incredibly passionate about that or career or travel or whatever it is. But in very few circles in our culture, is it socially acceptable, do people look at you like you're not weird, do people think you're cool, for being incredibly passionate about Jesus? Is that right? That especially for men, it is not usually socially acceptable to be incredibly passionate about Jesus. Now, the, no. no. Most people would say, "No, it's okay for you to be a Christian, right? You can be a Christian, you get baptized, you sing songs, go to church, say prayers. I mean, that's fine if you if you're a Christian, and that's fine. But but don't be one of those people. You know what I'm saying? Don't be like a religious nut, right? Don't don't make Jesus your whole life, and everything is about Jesus. That, in most circles, is not socially acceptable. But but do we realize the significance of that?" Do we realize the significance of what people are saying and what it is that we're accepting if we accept that? That it's okay to let Jesus be a little bit of your life and, you know, to be a Christian and do certain things, but not to let your whole life revolve around Jesus. I mean, that's a little extreme. What that's saying is it's not okay to be a Christian at all. See, because Jesus isn't inviting us to make him just a little part of our life and have him be, you know, kind of our life insurance policy. When you die, at least you get to go to heaven. I mean, that's not what the gospel is about. It's about Jesus inviting you to have your entire life revolve around him. We call that discipleship. He's inviting you to follow him to make him your life, for him to be the thing, for him to be the one that you are passionate about, the one that, that stokes your fires, the one that drives you on, the one that you're zealous about and passionate about. But it's really easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap where Jesus just becomes something we we think about on Sundays, someone we think about on Sundays, just a small portion of our life, but not the the one thing or the main thing that we're passionate about and that our life revolves around. And so our temptation is to show up to church and just say, well, yeah, I mean, it's great. We're talking about family. That's all great. But I mean, all I really want is just some practical tips for living, right? I mean, just tell me, Wes, you know, just tell me 12 things to be a better dad or a better mom or a better husband or a better wife. That's fine to give me those things. But all this like passionate about Jesus, passionate about gospel stuff. I mean, that's kind of hard to take in. I know. I get it. I get it, you know, I mean, you may look at me and say, Wes, you're really passionate about it, maybe you're just born that way, maybe you're just weird, you know, I don't know, maybe you were dropped on your head as a baby, I don't know, you know, what the, what the deal with you, Wes, is, but you're just kind of excited about those things. Listen, I I, I get it. I, I told First Service, and I probably told you this story before, but I mean, when I was a teenager, and I'd I'd come and eat breakfast at the breakfast table, and I just want to sit there and think about school and the girls at school or whatever, you know, and eat my breakfast in peace. And my mom would come and she'd sit down at the breakfast table and start reading the Bible to me. And I hated it. I hated it. and I thought it was weird. I mean, it's fine. Go to church and Bible class and all that. That's fine. But uh, it's just all the time, mom. That's all you want to talk about, mom. I didn't get it. I didn't see it. I didn't know why it drove her the way it drove her didn't know why she was as passionate about it as she was. I didn't know why her whole life revolved around Jesus. I didn't know why when the bread and the cup were passed around, why I would see tears rolling down from her eyes. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's good. Be a Christian, that's fine. But you really are invested in this. See, but that's that's what it does to you. That's, that's what it does to you when you see the gospel for what it is, that it's life-changing and it's transformative and it's all-consuming, then everything else pales in comparison. And then when Paul gets to this instruction about family life, it's only in the context of if you get it, if you see the gospel, if you see Jesus for who he is, this is how you live that out in your family. So that's why Paul doesn't start with 12 tips for a better marriage or 12 tips for better parenting. Paul starts with prayers. Listen to this, like Ephesians chapter one. He says, this is what I'm, this is what I'm praying for you, Christians at Ephesus. And if Paul was praying for you, And what I hope you're praying for yourself and that we're praying for each other are things like this. It's not on the screen, but Ephesians 1, Paul says, this is what I'm praying, that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe you see, I'm gonna to get to what you should do and how that you should live your life and what kind of dad you should be, and what kind of husband you should be, and what kind of mom you should be, and what kind of wife you should be, and what kind of employee and employer you should be. But before any of that, you've got to see it. You gotta, you gotta get it. Your eyes have to have to be opened so that you see the glorious gospel. But so many of us, we don't want it that way. We want to be able to live out our Christian life just as a mediocre kind of a thing, just as something that we can have in our life, but we're dispassionate about it. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to be a dispassionate Christian. And why would you want to be when you see the gospel for what it is, when you see God for who he is, when you see Jesus for who he is and what he's saying and what he's offering? It changes everything. That's Paul's prayer. I'm just praying that you get it and that you see it. And then he goes on in Ephesians chapter five and he, he tells them, here's what, here's what you should do. Don't be, don't be filled up with wine. That's debauchery, but here's what you need to do. Be filled with the spirit. Again, this isn't on the screen, but if you got your Bible, Ephesians five, excuse me, Ephesians five, verse 18, he says, this is, this is how You're filled with the spirit. I mean, that's kind of a weird instruction, isn't it? Be filled, be filled with the spirit. What if, what was that with the application this morning? And I, you came in and you say, okay, Wes, what should we do this week? Be filled with the spirit. Okay. Well, yeah, but how, right? I mean, how does, how does that work? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? I thought I got the spirit when I was baptized and I thought I had the spirit. So how do I get filled up with the spirit? And he tells us things like this, things like, Addressing, listen, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what changes your life. It's things like singing. Did you know that? That when we come together and we sing to each other, it's not just for people that like singing. It's not just for people that have an ear for it or a talent for it or it just kind of, you know, makes them feel all warm and tingly inside. That, that singing is to transform our lives because through that singing, we're filled up with the Spirit. The way he says it in Colossians is that the message of Christ dwells in us richly that way. You want to be a better husband? or a better father, a, a better spouse, a better mother, a better whatever, better son or daughter or grandparent, then, then sing praises to God. Let the message of Jesus dwell in your heart richly. Teach, admonish, sing to each other, because as that happens, your life is transformed, your mind is transformed, your heart is transformed, and you get it. And you see the gospel for what it is, and everything else begins to pale in comparison. And you say, I can't believe I used to be so, so driven by and passionate about and consumed with all of these other things. All of the, the things in the world that are fun and interesting and, you know, and they're, they're good things, but they consumed me. They drove me. They were the thing that put fire in my belly. And now that I see the gospel for what it is, all those things seem rather unimportant. See, that's, that's what singing does. That's what praise does. That's what prayer does. That's what fellowship does is the more we're together and the more we sing to each other, the more we pray together and teach each other, the more you're transformed and the more you're transformed, the more your families are transformed. So Christians ask me things like, well, I mean, do, you know, I know we meet on Sunday nights and we meet on Wednesday nights. I mean, do I, do I have to be at those things? You know, am I going to go to hell if I don't? That's not the question. The question isn't just where are you going when you die. It's about your your transformation. These kind of things transform you so that you live spirit-filled lives, so that you live lives that are rich in the message of Christ. And and then then we, we get on to these family things. We talked about last week in Ephesians 5 about wives and husbands and how the the life that we're supposed to live is an embodiment of the gospel. <laughs> you see, that, that's why if you, if you don't get the gospel, if you don't care about the gospel, if you're not passionate about the gospel, if the eyes of your heart aren't enlightened and you don't care, then somebody comes and says, okay, now that you see it for what it is, and now that you're passionate about it, live it out in your marriage. You say, yeah, you know, whatever. You got anything else? What else you got? You know, I mean, give me something else. No, that, that's it once you see it for what it is, once you know that it's not just good news, it's great news, it's transforming news, it's life-altering news, that the God of heaven is committed to you and making you a part of his family, and then you live out that good news in your marriage, and then look at chapter 6 and verse 1, and he addresses children, I don't think it's just children like kids, but children like if you have parents, right? And for most of us, that's us, right? So children, whether you're little children or older children, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And that's kind of weird. What what does that mean? Obey in the Lord. What does that mean to obey your parents in the Lord. There's lots of different commentary on that and opinions on that, different ways of reading it, and interpreting it. Some people think that it means, you know, maybe your parents are in the Lord or maybe their instructions are in the Lord. What they're telling you to do is good. But I think if we look at the context and we look at what Paul said to wives in chapter 5, he said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the same way that you submit to the Lord, that's how you submit to your husbands. And then in chapter 6, in verse 5, he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. It's not about their instructions or whether or not the other person is in the Lord. It's about whether or not you are in the Lord. And if you're in the Lord, it transforms your relationship with your parents. And your obedience is based on that, on the fact that you're in, the Lord. in fact, one translation puts it this way, Children, you belong to the Lord, and you do the right thing when you obey your parents. Another translation says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Another way to look at it is to, to say, as opposed to what? So when we say obey in the Lord, we say, as opposed to what? What would be the opposite of that? The opposite of that might be obey in the flesh. You obey them and you honor them because you're related, because they're your parents and they gave birth to you. So because of your physical relationship, you obey them. But that's going kind to of turn on its head in the Lord. So we obey not because, just because we're related and not just because they gave birth to us, but we obey because we're in the Lord, because our relationship with the Lord has transformed our relationship with our parents. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. And then he says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The children of Israel were told, this is why you obey your parents, is because you will live long in the land. Now, what are we supposed to take away from that? Why do we obey, or not rather obey, but honor our parents? He says, it's not, it's not because our parents are perfect or even because our parents are good. Our honoring them is based on our belief in God's promises. You see, we always try to make Bible pragmatic, don't we? And we say, well, if you do this, then other people will do that. If you do the good thing and the right thing, then they'll do the good and right thing. You scratch their back, they'll probably scratch yours. You, you treat your parents this way, and then they'll treat you this way. You do this, and then they'll do this. Says who? How do you know it's going to work out like that? I don't know. I don't know that if you put these things into practice that the other person will reciprocate and respond the same way. But this thing I know. Here's what I do know. God keeps his promises. So we honor our parents. Why? Because we believe God keeps his promises. That's what faith is all about. Because of our faith in God, because we know what kind of God we serve and that God is a God who keeps our promise, his promises, we honor our parents. You see, being in the Lord, believing that God is a God who keeps his promises, it changes our relationships with our parents. And then he says in verse four, here's where I really want to get to. There's so much packed into this one verse. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. <laughs> Now, I, I hope he doesn't mean, I don't think it's possible. He means don't don't do anything or say anything that your kids don't like because they'll get irritated and then they're mad. I mean, that's not I mean, it'd be impossible to be a parent, am I right? You know, I mean you can't you can't do anything without your parent and your kids saying, I don't like that, right? That's not what he's saying. Another translation puts it as exasperate. Don't don't be unreasonable with your children. Treat them unreasonable and put unreasonable expectations on them so that later they're justified in their anger. I think that's what it means to exasperate is that their anger and frustration and bitterness is in a a way justified because of the unreasonable expectations and the unreasonable way you treated them. Now, how is it that we learn to be parents This specifically is addressing fathers, but I think it applies to parents in general. Fathers is the head of the household, but also moms. How is it that we train our kids and teach our kids and raise our kids and parent our kids in a way that doesn't exasperate them? What is it that educates us? It all goes back to the gospel, doesn't it? That our father teaches us how to be a father. That his grace... And His mercy and His unyielding love teaches us to parent our children in the same way. Because some of you didn't have good fathers. Some of you didn't have fathers who were around at all. Some of you had fathers that were okay in some things and not so great in other things. Some of you had great mothers and some of you didn't. And we all have kind of a mixed bag of things that we receive from our parents. And the gospel allows us not to fall into the same traps that they fell into. Because that's our tendency, isn't it? Our tendency is to parent the way that our parents parented us. And we all swear, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm not going to do this like they did. And then we end up doing the very thing that we said we weren't going to do, right? The gospel allows us to take the best of what our parents gave us, but primarily learn how to be a parent from our Heavenly Father. So that we don't exasperate our children, but rather listen to what he says to do, but bring them up. I like that phrase, bring them up. And in the last chapter, that same word was used in the Greek, but there it's translated as nourish, to nourish them, to, to bring them up, to raise them. But here's the, here's the big question that it all comes down to, to what? To what end? To what goal? You see, we will bring up our children to whatever we're passionate about, right? We will drive them towards and push them towards and encourage them towards and direct them towards and train them towards whatever it is that we are passionate about. If we're passionate about getting a good job and working really hard and having lots of money, being able to take care of people, if that's what drives us in life, if that's what motivates us in life, we'll bring up our kids towards that. If what really drives us and we're passionate about is sports, that's what will drive our children towards. But look at what he says. Bring up your children in what? In the discipline of the Lord. We'll get to instruction in a second. But the discipline of the Lord. Now, when we think about discipline, we think about uh, the rod, right? We think about punishment. And I guess that's part of it. But the word discipline here means training. Bring up your children in the training of the Lord. You see, but when, when you understand the gospel and you see the gospel for what it is and you say, he is our king and he is our savior and he's my life and everything I am, everything I do, the job that I work and the, the, the way that I treat my neighbors and the way I drive my car, it's all, it's all about him. And when that consumes you, then this makes perfect sense that that's what you're going to direct your children towards, that that's how you're going to train your children, is to walk in the ways of the Lord. So he says the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. Now, that word instruction really means to, to warn or admonish or, hey, hey, be careful. Don't fall in that trap. Don't don't do that. It reminds me of the book of Proverbs. You read Proverbs lately? I mean, and on one hand, it looks like just a book of practical advice, like, you know, do this and you'll have plenty of money. Do this and you'll be poor. Do this and things will work out. But at the very core of it, the foundation of it is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's, it's having a, a fear, a reverence, an awe, standing in, in complete awe of our God, and that's where wisdom starts. So it's training our children to be in reverence and awe of God, because we are. And then in that, we, we warn them, and we say, because you love God, and because you know God, and because God is what we're all about, because Jesus is the one around whom our life revolves, we've got to be careful. Watch out for this. Don't do that. And, and, and I know your friends are doing these things, But it's not just about a checklist. It's not just about rules. And it's not teaching them the rules so that they can be better citizens and teaching them rules so they have good jobs and they play well on their sports team. It's teaching them these things and warning them about these things because you love the Lord, because you want them to love the Lord, and that's what drives you. That's what you're passionate about, and that's what you see. You see, if you get nothing else out of this series, I hope that you get out of it, that being in the Lord transforms the way that you live in your family. It transforms the way you, you live in your neighborhood. It transforms the way you live at work. It transforms everything. And the very best way to improve your family relationships is to love Jesus more. Love Jesus more than what? everything. Love Jesus more than you do now. Even if you love Jesus a whole lot, love him more. And love him more than everything else. Love him more than your spouse. Love him more than your kids. Love him more than your hobbies. Love him more than this country. Love him more than anything else. So much so that everything else pales in comparison. And when you do, and when you have that kind of love for God, that you love him with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength, it changes the way you interact with your family. The best way to become a better spouse is to love Jesus more. The best way to become a better child is to love Jesus more. The best way to become a better parent is to love Jesus more. That is what he's inviting us into, to experience his love and forgiveness And the transformation that comes along with loving him more. And church, imagine, imagine what would happen if we we did that. Imagine what our marriages would look like and what our parenting styles would look like and imagine the way we would interact with our neighbors and our grandkids and everybody else if we devoted ourselves to loving Jesus more, meaning read the Bible more and sing more and praise more and meditate on his word more and fellowship more and the more you fall in love with Jesus and his people and his good news, the more your relationships on your side at least, will blossom and grow. And I know every week we offer you an invitation and every week you respond. We all do, don't we? We either respond by saying, I disagree with you, Wes, or I agree with you, but not right now, or that sounds nice, but, or we say, that's God's word and I'm going to change some things in my life. So now, not just in this moment, but today and tomorrow and this week, we get the opportunity to respond to God's word. How will we respond? Maybe maybe you haven't been baptized yet, and it's time to give your life to Jesus and be buried with him in baptism. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement, or maybe you're ready and you're set, and we're going to go out into the world, and we're going to love Jesus more and watch everything in our life be transformed for the better. But if we can help you with that, we want to help you. You can go to our prayer room in the back after service, or right now, come forward as together we stand and sing.